Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back again for another week of episodes. Bit delayed this week, guys. Apologies. I put up on Twitter. I actually had COVID at the start of the week. It's just knocking me around a fair bit, but we need to pump out these episodes. So feeling a lot better now, ready to get back into it. Going to do our Talking Footy episode here. It's the second Talking Footy episode that the All-Stars Podcast has done. For the first one, we actually had Luke Garrity from the Rugby League Cemetery Podcast. And Luke is back on board again to talk some footy, no super coach, just talking NRL and what's happening around the traps and what all the big news is. Luke, welcome back aboard, mate. Great to have you again. Cheers, mate. Good to be back so quickly. Um, another another call up, looking good, uh, ready to rip in. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, there's been a lot happening. I mean, obviously the trials have still been going, which is great, but footy's around the corner now. Like We're a week off having our first game of the season. It's, I feel like it's come around pretty quickly this year. It's pretty exciting. I'm really looking forward to the first round of footy. Yeah, so am I. It's always uh, it's the best time of year you can get so much excitement. Um, we all have our predictions and what we think is going to happen, but nobody really knows. So it's all, you know, like for all the talk and who's going to do what and all of that. Next week, we actually get to have a finally have a look and see what happens. And there's always a few surprises early in the year. A few teams don't go as well as you think. And there's a few surprise packets and you're not sure whether they're going to keep going well or drop off. So all that starts next week. We get a really good look to see how teams start the year and what's going to happen. And I can't wait. Yeah, it's looking like an absolutely bumper round one with a lot of storylines, a lot of things happening around the league. Already a lot of outs too with a lot of injuries and uh, even some controversy with some things that we touched on last week with, you know, especially the judiciary stuff, which we're going to talk a little bit about again, but in a different context with some new stories coming aboard for this week to talk about. But the first thing is, you know, when we're talking about injuries and players out, one of the things that's not an injury that I think that kind of went to the back of people's minds a little bit was, you know, the whole COVID thing and didn't go back to the back of my mind because at the start of this week I copped it. But, you know, uh, at the same time, Adam Reynolds was the same and so was young Hetherington too for the Broncos and they're ruled out for round one. So all of a sudden, I mean, I think it kind of went on the back burner, like I said, where a lot of fans and stuff sort of, you know, you don't hear about it and players weren't catching it or anything. And it certainly wasn't close enough to the season to affect anything. So everyone kind of ignored it. But I was quite surprised too, just with the turnarounds and stuff. So just for the fans and and stuff, because I mean, I didn't even realise that it was this type of process. Adam Reynolds was seven days out um, from, you know, round one starting when he was a positive test. And he isn't even like the first game anyway. So I thought that he would have been fine to play. But apparently what the process is with the NRL is that you've got seven days isolation, which is normal. That's what I'm in at the moment myself. Um, And then after that isolation, I thought that you just return a negative test and away you go. And certainly, you know, some people were talking about, oh, yeah, but you haven't trained or, you know, you're going to be underdone yet. If someone like Adam Reynolds, the Broncos are just going to put him straight in. So I didn't think any of that would be a concern and he would have played anyway. But the actual process with the NRL is you've got to return your negative test on your eighth day, and then you've got other tests that you have to go through before, which are part of the return to play policy for NRL players that are tested COVID positive. So it's actually an 11-day turnaround 
from when you actually get your first positive test and start isolating, which compliments to Andy Jacko. He clarified a lot of that for me. Wacko's whispers um, gave me a lot of that info, but I actually thought it was just sort of seven days and you can kind of squeeze it in, but apparently not. It's 11. So that makes it really hard. So I guess, Luke, a couple of things with that. One is all of a sudden, you know, the poor old Broncos fans, they thought that they were going to have a good season with the new recruiting Reynolds that was going to lead them to glory and everything and at least improve. And he's not going to be there round one as it is. Second thing too is that, you know, I'm not an unfit person and it's absolutely totaled me this week. So the thing that sort of popped into my mind too is that, you know, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that Reynolds is going to be pretty underdone and maybe even miss time if he ends up a little bit sick from this. You know, some people don't get sick, other people do. And you know, there's certainly a chance that he could. But the bigger thing is, you know, how much more are we going to see from this? And how long is it going to be before the NRL says, look, a lemonade turnaround is just going to decimate us? Maybe we need to look at a quicker turnaround. Like Someone like the NBA um, has, I, I think, the five to seven day turnaround. As soon as you, as soon as you give a negative test, though, at any point, you're, you're back in the fray. So it doesn't matter as long as you give a negative test, you're, you're right. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on on this, Luke, the impact for the Broncos, but also, you know, on the season and how we're going to see this unwrap as the season unfolds now? Yeah, well, the Reynolds one, obviously, that's pretty unfortunate for, for Brisbane. However you think they're going to go this year, you know, they sort of, it's a bit hard on them to have, <laughs> have this star player out for the first round when you're all excited to go there. Um, whether it'll be underdone afterwards just depends how sick he is. Um, if he's sick as some people are, yeah, he's going to struggle and, um, hopefully for him and Brisbane, he's okay. In general, look, you know, I, I'm, I find it hard to comment on some of this stuff because I'm just, you know, ultimately I'm not an expert um, in catching infectious diseases and in COVID and everything else. You can only assume the NRL has looked at, is looking at the 11 days from the perspective of infection in terms of them infecting someone else. Um, why that would be different to the NBA or some other leagues around the world, I, I can't answer. But really, I guess the predominant risk when you sit down and say, how long should they be out for? I can't give you a number because that's not, I, I don't have those expertise, but the number should be when mm. you're really minimizing that risk of giving it to other players because as much as Adam Reynolds out for 11 days, so if that happens in season, he'll miss two games quite likely. You know, if you get, get it in a, you know, you test positive on a on a Sunday after playing, there's every chance you won't play for two weeks, depending on where your schedule is. But I suppose whatever the limit is or whatever the days are, it has to be designed so that he doesn't give that to his team and the opposition because him being out for two weeks can decimate the competition a little bit or hurt the competition. But if he gives it to six guys on the opposition, um, we're going to get in trouble pretty quickly. Um, my thoughts in general, on though, are really spaced around what the next sort of outbreak is going to be and what the next variant will be. I think that's the big risk for the NRL because we're lucky um, in inverted commas in the sense that a lot of players in New South Wales in particular got it over the off season. And I know a lot of the Broncos did too. I know Mm. there's been stats that like 80% of New South Wales based players had had it and nearly, I think all the roosters had or something like that. 95% of the Knights had had it, blah, 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 blah. So you go along and the risks are scientifically shown at the moment to be a lot lower of them getting it again for the, for X amount of time. I think you pretty much won't get it for a few weeks at all in any circumstance. And there's certainly a lot of protection for a few months. Um, So I think it won't, be this wide scale thing for now we'll have players go out but it shouldn't be everyone but if we get to the middle of the year and we go from 
you know, Delta to Omicron to whatever the next thing is, and the um, <laughs> and this protection doesn't hold up as well, that's where it might start to hurt us, or even if it kicks back up again later, you know, that's probably the big unknown at the moment, is I think for the first half of the year, we'll have the odd guy out, and that that's a shame, but we might be okay, but then it's, um, you know, we'll get into the crucial part of the season, and I think we really just have to hope that there's not another outbreak of something else that's really contagious, or at the end of the day, that's what happened last time, we were all got these shots but everyone got omicron anyway um or a lot of people did and if that happens in the middle of the year it could be absolute crisis <laughs> you know yeah. teams are trying to make the finals and you wake up and you go hey as a knights fan we wake up one day and they go oh it's going around and ponga clifford both the safidis and clamor can't play this week and <laughs> that you know like that's just going to be can you even have a competition so we really just have to cross our fingers because it's not in the league's control um, or even Australia's control, really, the way it's all going, whether that'll happen. But that's my big worry for later. Well, in the- I mean, we could get to Origin and it's New South Wales Cups side versus yeah, Queensland yeah, Cup side, yeah. and that's our, that's our Origin series. And then mm. all of a sudden, Game 3, we have all the All-Stars come into it. You know, like they're yeah, all it, it really could. So that, that, that's just the concern, and it's, I'm not even... I'm not catastrophizing. I'm not saying it's going to happen. We just don't know. We didn't... You know, we we're about to open up the world again last year, and boom, Omicron, and that spread, if that had happened in the season, we would have struggled to have games, right? Like all of the NRL, 80% of New South Wales-based players got it between like December and January. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine a two-month stretch of that in the middle of the season. We wouldn't have been able to play. So, um, yeah, that, that's we just got to cross our fingers that that doesn't happen or it doesn't happen at the wrong time, um, and we don't have much control over it. So we just got to go business as usual and do our best until then, really, don't we? Yeah, and like hopefully there there isn't a variant that pops up that's really yep. going to throw a spanner in the works. If it doesn't, um, you make a really good point with the amount of players that have already had it. That should help stave off things a little bit. The other thing too is that I think a lot of people forget that the NRL, whilst not operating uh, under bubble procedures and conditions, they still have pretty stringent guidelines on what players are supposed to be doing at the moment to try and avoid contact and things. Yeah, um, So that... That's certainly going to help because, you know, they're not running rampant and going to the pub in groups of 25 and stuff or, or anything like that. There's some risk aversion there. So that's certainly going to help. Um, I think that the other thing that it sort of said to me, though, and you kind of touched on it with Newcastle and certainly it is with this live example of Reynolds, you know, there are some teams that are much less equipped to be able to deal with this than others. So I think that it's really going to highlight if you've got either a squad that's not very strong or you have a squad that's really top heavy, and uh, as far as the top sides, Manly comes to mind. Oh you know, yeah, yeah. Travojevic gets it, and Travojevic happens to miss two games, and then maybe he's a bit sick and he misses three. That yeah. could be, you know, really big for them. You know, and you, ha- you have Turbo and and DSC both out, and they're, they're just finished for that period of time. Whereas other teams that have a bit more depth, you know, that that Storm spine's still very so- strong. You know, say yeah. they miss miss out on Munster for a couple of weeks, they've still got enough around that spine. Yeah. Uh, the, the Sydney Roosters are very similar. The Roosters could have Kiri out again um, and they've still got Teddy there and they've still got some other star players there that are representative quality. It's, it's not going to be that big a difference. But then you've got the non-top eight teams when you're looking at the non-contender type of teams, someone like the Broncos, having Reynolds out, you know, they go all the way back down to the bottom of the pack, don't they? Because, you know, yeah, they can't afford yeah. to have someone of that calibre out. So it, it's really going to test some teams' depth a little bit, even if we don't see it too often, if it ends up being star players like a Reynolds that actually get it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if I was Manly, 
forget whatever else the NRL would play. So I'd be like, Daily Cherry Evans and Tom Travojevic aren't allowed to interact outside of training. <laughs> so I don't, I don't care if you're allowed less than five players in one location that, that can't be Cherry Evans and Tom Travojevic in the same place. It's like, you two aren't to speak, you're not to make any contact, stay away from each other and stuff like that. I genuinely would, because that'd be, um, you know, if they were out for, you know, imagine getting to the finals or something and two of them got it, it'd just be, yeah, nightmare. So, no, I think you're right. We, we just don't know. It just depends what takes off. We've got a bit of protection for the moment and um, fingers crossed, uh, hopefully that the worst is behind us, but you know, no one really knows, but all we can do is deal with it when it comes up, like they've had to do for the last two years. NRL's done a pretty good job. So we just got to back them. You know, they're not perfect, but they've done a reasonable job of managing COVID within what you can in a contact sport and put a comp on. So fingers crossed, they don't have to this year and do too much. And if they do, we'll, we'll deal with it when it comes up. Mm. And like, just to be clear, like I'm, I wasn't questioning either the, integrity or the intelligence of the NRL around the COVID protocols or anything with the 11 days, like I'm fine to back it or whatever. I'm just, I was just surprised that it's that long. Uh, and certainly I, I agree with you. Like it has to be just done on whatever the best advice is. That's what the NRL needs to follow because it'll be a lot worse if they don't. Um, but I, certainly from my understanding like that, day eight, nine, 10 and 11, it's very much around different types of testing. And I think there might even be blood tests and stuff. I'm not sure. I can't recall, but there's like three or four different tests um, outside of the negative test. And I just sort of thought to myself, well, mm. if there's a if there's a way that you can do all that stuff within six hours of testing, you know, to try and pull in that extra few days, you know, stuff like that, that's not going to make an impact would be good. But, you know, going back to Manly, just to finish up, you know, Des Hassler likes to think out of the box. I'd like to think that Des has already considered just, um, you know, constructing some cells at Bookvale <laughs> behind the... I, I'd be like after the wait session, I'd be yeah. just walking... Turbo to the back of the room and unlocking his cell, sitting him on his bed and locking him up each night. Like, I think that's the best way around it. <laughs> fantastic idea. It'll keep him from doing his sprints on Manly till late at night. Yeah. Too, so there's a double benefit. He's um, like a greyhound that you only let out on the grass yeah. when he needs to race. And otherwise he's just in his four by two. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd, yeah. If I had him, I'd be thinking about that too. Don't worry. If he played for Newcastle, I'd be offering to go and ice his hamstrings every night, give him a massage, anything he needs. <laughs> Well, look, let's move on. There's a few other things that have been happening around the league in the last week. Uh, one of them is shock horror, a Ricky Stewart blow up. Like I've never seen Ricky blow up before. He's normally pretty, yeah. it's quite new. He's normally pretty mild mannered. He gets along with the media and everyone else. And I think that he's really happy, happy go lucky kind of guy. But <laughs> all of a sudden we've got a blow up. It, yeah, it's uh, probably number 150 the last two years of Ricky's blow up. But it was a pretty good one. The, the quotes are pretty. <laughs> a pretty top shelf one. I think it's a top three in Ricky's all timers of it's just the NRL doing the Canberra Raiders up the ass again. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. I'll, I'll do it exactly as to he said it. I don't want to misquote the great man. It is the Canberra Raiders copying it up the ass again. That is a quote in quotation marks. Quote. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a fantastic quote. Uh, this is all about if nobody saw it, uh, Jordan Rappiner not being able to use the All-Stars game as one of his suspension games. So he had a drink driving suspension for one week. So initially, Luke, I'm, I'm going to be straight out with this. Initially, I laughed at Stuart's quote and I also thought, you idiot, because I just thought it was so dumb for a couple of reasons. One was I thought it was so dumb because it, he's already played the All-Stars game. So I don't get why Ricky was annoyed initially when I saw the headlines and the quotes because to me it was like, well, he's already played. He got to play the game. Brandon Smith and Walsh didn't get to play the game, so it has to count. But Rapana played it, so you can't play it and then have it yeah. count. Uh, and the second thing that I thought to myself was, 
I would just shut up because Rapana has already been told that he can do his sentences concurrently with his shoulder charge duty cop. So instead of doing three weeks, it's actually two weeks, which we spoke about last week's podcast as being an utter joke. So to me, he's already gotten away with a week. So whether you want to cry over this or whatever, you know, if he didn't get away with that, which he shouldn't have, he would have just gotten the week that he ended up with anyway. So to Mm. me, it's just, what are you whinging about? I am going to backtrack a little bit though, Luke. I read a little bit more on it. um, And I certainly saw Jordan Rappiner's quotes earlier today as well, uh, and it made a bit more sense. So Jordan came out and actually said and explained in a bit of detail that he spoke to Stuart before the All-Stars game a couple of weeks before and said he really wanted to play it. And Ricky said, mate, we'd really love you to play it. Um, You want to play there. We want to support you. But if it just asks the NRL for clarification, if it can count as one of your, your suspension game, that means you'll be right from round one for the Raiders, and we really need that. And Jordan said, yep, that's sweet. If, if it's going to count, I'm happy to do that. So I'm available for the team for round one. Ricky went to the NRL, or rather the Raiders did, and their request was denied. Two weeks later, <laughs> mm. there was several requests that were exactly the same, all given the tick of approval by the NRL. So initially didn't understand what Ricky was saying or what he was whinging so much about. But after seeing that, Jesus Christ, like last week we spoke about how inadequate and how unprofessional and amateur the NRL is of making up stuff on the fly, but at least they came through and said to, Bre- to Brandon Smith and Reese Walsh, you know what, we've already done this for people, so yes, you guys can play round one, we'll count the All-Stars as one of your suspension games like we did with Luttrell and, and other players. At least they were consistent. But this is not consistent at all again with all the, the exact same stuff. Like I would be blowing up as well. Yeah, um, Ricky. Yeah, Ricky loves a blow up. Um, I love rolling my eyes at Ricky's blow ups because it must be hard. Like it, it must be hard just living with that chip on your shoulder your whole life. Like everyone is trying to <laughs> constantly knife you, and I've never understood it because he was like one of the best players ever in his position in one of the best teams ever, and he's lived his whole life with this chip that everyone's out to get him. Then he went and coached a really glamorous team and won a competition and he's just spent his whole life with this absolute chip of anger on his shoulder. And I've never really understood where it And he can never from. do anything wrong in Canberra no. either. He, he can do whatever he likes yeah. in Canberra and everyone still th- says he's God. So it's fine. You yeah, know? Th- that's right. It's just, I don't understand why he's lived with that. Maybe it's why he's so good. Just so driven all the time to prove these like anonymous people that are trying to uh, ruin his life wrong all the time. But, but that aside in this instance, he, he certainly, it's a great quote and he's, certainly not incorrect um i don't think it matters whether they even went for clarification first the, the very fact that someone else was allowed to count it means that he it, jordan rapiner should have been given that option it's worse because they went to the nrl and asked can he count it um but even if they didn't it shouldn't matter because you have to have one rule and this is very simple i said the same thing last week and you agreed is that you just you can't decide after games whether they count and it should have been decided before, whether it counts for everyone. There's no concept to challenge or change it. It's a rule. You either count the All-Stars game as a representative fixture, fixture or you don't count it because it's a trial. And if they've decided it's a rep fixture, then it, it plays out the same as Origin and everything else. You can sort of look at whether someone's going get, to get selected. Um, and, you know, there's always a bit murky there because you don't really know if someone will get picked. But if you're sort of saying it's likely this person will get picked and the coach or the rep side gives that support, then they can count it. If it's a trial, they can't. 
then you don't run into these issues. It, it can't happen once you just say it counts or it doesn't. Um, I would solve this. I think the fact that the Raiders went last and they were denied, then I, I understand what you're saying about him already getting out of it a week early with his whole counting at the same time. But that is a separate issue. In this case, mm. they asked, um, the NRL said it doesn't count. They've counted it for other people. He should be allowed to play in round one. They should say, we, we stuff this up and you can play. Because at the end of the day, I understand that he did play in the game. But this is just like the, the breakdown in process isn't fair or appropriate. And they need to just rectify it because he should be available for his club side. And he's not because the NRL have completely stuffed up. The, the two, It's just not right to do that. It's not fair at all. And I, I, like the precedent that it sets, um, and this came out in the wash with this Canberra Raiders story as well, is that, you know, first of all, Abdo spoke to Stuart in the last 48 hours or something and apologised and said, sorry, I can't go back on decisions that are made and they're not my decisions, something like along those lines. I mean, it's the CEO of the NRL, you know, mm. like how, how can you just say, oh, sorry, this is a professional sport that's meant to be, again, the, the best in the world at what it does. And it's just so amateur. Like you said, it's really straightforward. It can't be one rule for some and one rule for the others. And the thing that we read again this week with this whole Canberra Raiders fiasco is that it was stated from the NRL that it, it would be discretionary powers and it was discretionary powers to decide whether they would count or not. And I, I made a comment on Twitter that that's absolutely insane. Like to say that you're going to just use discretion. So in other words, have a subjective opinion on every single suspension on whether this game counts and this one doesn't or whatever. I mean, he's saying that, you know, if somebody said, you know, I want Origin to count for three games, you can use your discretionary powers saying, oh, yeah, okay, cool, we'll, we'll count that one as three because I'm just going to use my discretionary power on that one. It doesn't matter that it's not in the rules, you know, discretionary because that's what's just happened here. Like you just can't make stuff up along the way. And it's just a joke that the NRL has come out with that. And you would think even just from our discussion last week, Luke, that the NRL would have got on the front foot with this stuff. But they've doubled down. And this week we've got the Raiders thing. And it happened a few days ago. So I was kind of thinking, you know what? Surely the NRL will come out and say something. It's still just crickets. Like, come out and say something. Rectify it. Even just put the rule in place now. Say, we're sorry to the Canberra Raiders. This is what the rule is now. It's going to count for everyone. If you're going to be picked and we get confirmation that you're going to be picked, mm. it's going to count as a game. But they still haven't said anything. They're their own worst enemy sometimes, the NRL. Yeah, the only discretion they should have in that is you, you need to operate with some discretion or there's got to be, there's no hard and fast rule to decide when it's obvious someone's going to get picked. So whether you need to eyeball that, whether it matters that you played last year or the coach of the rep side needs to write a letter saying you get in, something like that. That's the only thing that goes away from a black and white rule, in my opinion, is that you, you need to eyeball, you know, you can't just have everyone claiming they were going to make the make the rep, yeah, side, yeah, yeah, make yeah. The rep side. But And I've had that issue in Origin before where some people have counted it and some haven't. And I've been like, I, I don't quite think, I, I had a problem with Victor Radley's getting to count. Um, I, yeah, because, we debated about yeah, that one and, ourselves. And, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, Victor Radley's never played a game for New South Wales, so I think it's a complete load of crap that he counted a game for New South Wales. But that aside, that's the only discretion that should be there is you need to have some at least to make an, a call on whether it's likely they're going to be picked. But it doesn't apply here because Jordan Rapana was picked. <laughs> so, like, he was obviously <laughs> going to play in the game. So he obviously should have been allowed to count it. And, I, I, you know, you don't even have to go on about it. It's as simple as this. You 
you have to have a rule in place from before games are played over what counts and what doesn't. You sit down at the end of the year this year and you say, righto, um, representative games count, trial games don't count, club games count. And when it comes to representative games, we're going to have a couple of things we can look at to see if it's likely this guy would have got picked. Um, and we'll use a little bit of common sense there. So we're not going to allow you to rot it by having a guy who played last year, but, you know, has a broken leg and isn't available. We're not going to let him count that or something like that or whatever it is. That, that's only a random example, but have some little bit of discretion there to make sure you can't rot it by getting people out of suspensions they, when they wouldn't have played. Mm. Um, and otherwise, then that's all you need to do, right? There's no great secret to this. There's no great um, master plan. You just need to say that rep games count. Simple process. Count, trials don't count. Done. Rapanas wouldn't have played. The Raiders would have him round one. And if I was them, I would just rectify that now because I just don't think it's... I understand he hasn't served his suspension. I get that. And people might argue against me on that. But the bottom line is that's the NRL's fault that he hasn't served it. So they should rectify it. The, the Canberra shouldn't miss out on this issue because the NRL stuffed up. And I know he's doubling down on his other suspension, but that is a separate issue. They can't take that into account. But that's a separate problem. They stuffed mm. this game up and he's available at round two only because they stuffed this up. But the other yeah, making two yeah. mistakes doesn't really fix anything. So. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where the Raiders pretty much have copped it up the ass again. So I'm going to I'm gonna support Stuart now after initially thinking it was a bit of a, a dumb Stuart blow up. And I'm going to rate his blow up a 9.5 out of 10 on the Stuart scale. I think it's right up there for his uh his the quotability in the future. Uh, it's gonna come up. It's gonna. I reckon it's gonna be up there, Luke, with quotes like "There's got to be an investigation into this." Well, that's, yeah, that's, this is yeah. this is how good it was. That's the gold standard. That's the gold standard. The Jeff TV. Um, <laughs> yeah, Ricky, we haven't had one this good from Ricky in a while, or that quotable. So it's uh, it's good to um, see him back to his absolute peak, and it might mean good things for the Raiders this year. It's a good sign. <laughs> Ricky's angry early. <laughs> I also really enjoyed that he, he he specifically wanted part of the part of the quote to say that is a quote, so that the telejournalist knew that he needed to quote it and that he was allowed to, yeah. <laughs> and that he should publish it. Because I think that the telejournalist was probably like, oh, 50 50 on whether I'm actually going to publish that, Rick. And get it in there. Stuart was like, no, you're going to do it, mate. That's a quote. <laughs> <laughs> you put it up there. Um, look, to finish up on this, it's like Luke said, I agree. It, it just needs to be a simple process. And Canberra were dudded a bit, but other teams are going to be dudded unless they put a process in place. And to fix it, you know, real easy thing just pick your team, regardless of who's suspended. And then you know who was picked in it and take those guys out and replace them. Or, don't make it public. Pick your team as per it was, including suspended players. Submit it to the NRL. The NRL can then um, press release. These guys are going to have these games count as suspension and here is the amended team and release the team to the general public as amended. There's pretty easy processes that you can put in place and two guys behind a mic that are fans coming up with it shouldn't be the case. The NRL should be able to do a lot better than us. Let's move along. Now, aside from the Stuart blow-ups, the other big news is down your neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Biggest news in Newcastle since Joey won your premiership, mate. <laughs> the only news in Newcastle since Joey won his premiership, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> the great man, Anthony Milford, charges have been dropped. He's expected to sign for 150000 with the Newcastle Knights, who reportedly are extremely, extremely keen to get his services. Mm-hmm. Look, you are a Knights fan, so I'm going to bow down to you because I think you're going to have a lot to say about this. I will just say that uh, I do think that Milford has dropped off a cliff the last few years. Mm-hmm. I thought that it started to become 
a little bit overstated how bad he was. His Broncos team didn't help him. His coach didn't help him. Nothing helped him. He didn't help himself either. But I don't think that he is an out-of-the-league type of player. If you put him in a decent system, um, certainly if he went to you know the Storm, the Roosters, the Panthers, these type of top-tier clubs, I think that he'd do quite well in a role. And I do think that he did have some improvements to his game that were quite subtle that people didn't notice, like his kicking and game management and stuff, which he's still not very good at, but he got better at. Uh, 150000 though, you know, Anthony Milford for a million dollars, you'd want to sell your club and move to a different country. <laughs> but Anthony Milford for 150 k on a one-year deal with a point to prove when the Knights really don't have very much talent as far as playmaking or spine. I actually don't mind it for the Knights because they've got to do something. So for me, it's okay. But how does our resident Newcastle Knights fan feel? Well, first things first, obviously I've been inundated with calls from Wilford all week asking for Knights shirts. He's asking for jerseys. <laughs> he wants, he's going, how do I get the number six on the back? He's asking to stay down here for about six months going, oh, you know, we can, we, have you got the season tickets getting every game? <laughs> so, um, you know, I've had to block that number, obviously. He's uh, very quickly on the Newcastle Knights bandwagon. Um, but, that aside, I think I like it, to be honest with you. Um, it's not a, huge, a good opinion down here because people down here like to just earnestly back goers. So they read in the paper some stupid quote about how well Adam Clune's training and, you know, ah, oh, we're going to back him. We don't want Milford. But my view is it's a pretty good, it's a pretty shrewd move. Um, reasoning being basically what you covered. So we're short in the position and we were short in the position late in the piece. We expected, we didn't sign... People that talking about Adam Clune, right? Adam Clune was bought here to back up Mitchell Pierce this season. He was supposed to be back up. And good luck to him. I hope if we play him, he has a good year. And he actually had two really reasonable performances in the trial. So I hope it goes really well. But he was bought here as the reserve grade halfback with Mitchell Pierce to be playing for one more season. Mitchell Pierce wanted out really late in the piece. And we let him go and now don't have a first choice halfback. That's the reality of the situation. We didn't sign Clune to play first grade. So we're sitting here without a first choice playmaker. And then there's two things you can do in this situation. You can panic. Um, and the example I'll use is the Tigers when they lost Moses and Tedesco. You can panic and you can go and pay $900,000 for four years to Josh Reynolds or and Moses and Bite and those sorts of plays where you can go, crap, what's available? We can't go in without a halfback. We're going to look silly. We have to go out and make this move that's going to kill you for a couple of years. Another good example is the Bulldogs when Clemmer wanted out. They panicked, they thought it looked bad, and they went all in on Napa so they could go, look at us, we signed a big name. Look at us, we got a replacement. Don't rip us off in the paper, basically. Don't have a go at us in the media, we fixed it. And those things are really big chains around your neck in the future. So Newcastle are in a situation where there basically isn't a Mitchell Pierce replacement on the market for this year. There's just not. Like, there's no one you can go and sign to play halfback now this year that's a top line caliber halfback to take you to a grand final and that sort of thing. So what they're in this position of doing is they can go out and sign the wrong guy or they can do, I call it a bridge signing. It's probably got other terms and people around the world in other sports, but you basically say we're short in that position. Is there something we can do to strengthen it in the short term to get us out of jail? Well, you've got a guy here who should have won a Clive Churchill medal albeit quite a while ago. Uh, he was the best player on the field in the grand final um, had a very, very good couple of years early in his career. And I think for all the fallout he's had, I would agree with you, he started to look a bit better at stages last year. He played in a very poor side and his running game came back to the fore a little bit. He's got a lot to prove. They're paying him nothing and they have absolutely no obligation to him. They're signing him for basically six months, at which point I imagine he'll go back to Redcliffe. And if he goes well, maybe he'll be grateful we gave him the chance. Maybe he'll say, I'm fitting in well. 
I want to re-sign here. And that, that could be one scenario, but we've got no obligation to keep him if it doesn't go well. And he goes back and gets a big deal somewhere else afterwards. So he's got that motivation to try and put his name back up there. So at the moment, Adam Clune is going to be playing with Jake Clifford and then Phoenix Crossland is the next in. So I challenge anyone to say here that the Knights are going to be worse off for spending $150,000 to make Anthony Milford the 14, the 6, the 7, whatever. Like to get him in and around that system gives us some upside that we don't currently have. And if it doesn't work, we haven't spent any money and he'd only have been in the team replacing a Crossland or a Clune. So like he's not denying anyone a chance. We don't have anyone coming through in that position. We're going to buy a halfback at some point. It'll be probably for next year with luck. Um, they're scouting England. They're scouting guys trying to get them out of contracts in the NRL. I know they have eyes for drink waters when they want. They think if drink water's not starting, that they might be able to prize drink water loose. And he looks like he's behind Dearden and, um, Dearden and uh, Townsend, which is another conversation. But um, so they're, they're looking at those things. And to me, that's the right option. Um, whether it's drink water or not, you need to look at your actual targets and wait for them to come and wait for the time to strike. And you need to do the best you can in the meantime. And to me, that makes sense. It's a running competition. We can get him in around those halves with Ponga as the main man as a sort of secondary support. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, I don't get what you've lost. What's the loss? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like you called it a bridge signing. I, I call it a, I, I'd call it a value signing. And I think mm. it's a value signing with zero downside. So I, I find it hard to be critical of it. Um, I will have a couple of little caveats on downside, but realistically, you know, I, I've said this about other guys, you know, like Bryce Cartwright comes to mind and other guys too. You know, you can't value the signing based on, the salary they were being paid and how poorly they were before because their value for that contract was poor, but this is a new contract. If it's short term, one year, tick, doesn't matter. You're not on the hook for the future, so who cares? Uh, is it minimum salary? Tick, doesn't really matter. If you pay someone 150k for one year and the third game you want to drop them, it makes no difference. If you pay Moses M by 850,000 for four years and the third game you want to drop in a reserve grade, that's when it's a problem. Uh, but for Milford, not at all. Uh, so you're not really going to lose anything. You, your upside is it could work out and he's a serviceable player, in which case $150,000 salary, you know, you're basically playing money ball where you're going to hope that that's a $500,000 player and it can come off. And that's what some of the top teams do. And a lot of them do it well, like Penrith, the Storm especially do it really well. The Roosters have done it well in the past as well. Those teams do play the money ball signings and it comes off for them. And this is another one of those. And if you make enough of them, you know, some of them are going to come off and that's what you need to do. So the Knights will be hoping that they hit on that. But Milford himself, this is a chance for him to save his career. So the other big tick is that this is a motivational thing for both sides. Newcastle need him to be good and Milford has to be good. And if he doesn't, he doesn't have a contract after this season and he potentially doesn't have an NRL career after this season. The only little caveat I'll put on it maybe having no downside the small concern for me is if Milford was just an out-of-form player that hadn't been playing well or up to the potential of his contract, I think everything I said sticks and it really doesn't matter. And he could be terrible and still not going to be a bad signing. Problem for me is that these charges weren't good. Uh, they didn't look good. I'm sort of half surprised I would drop from what I initially read about them and what I've seen about them, but obviously I wasn't there, so I'm not going to pass judgment. But if there's any truth to them or there's anything there as far as that goes or some of the other rumours that have happened the, you know, the last five years of Milf's career and stuff, you know, potential attitude problems, behavioural problems and stuff, that could be an issue. 
And certainly I don't think that the Newcastle Knights have a strong enough culture or senior leadership group at the moment or coach to be able to deal with that well to stop it affecting the rest of the team. So that's probably the only little caveat I'd put in there. You'd want to hope that Milford is, you know, not as maybe loose as what some reports suggest he can be um, and he's a little bit more dedicated as far as training and stuff. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. Um, I think that the obvious one for me on that is just um, I was really, for the reasons you're raising, I was quite hostile to them signing Matt Lodge last year when that was going to go through and there was enough fan backlash that kept that away. Mm. Um, and I haven't been against this one. So to avoid any charge of hypocrisy on that one, I'll just point out that Anthony Milford is on court charges and this isn't going to happen if he doesn't get off them because if he doesn't get off them, the NRL is not going to register this. Newcastle won't have whether they would or wouldn't do it anyway, aren't going to have the choice. He's only going to be allowed to come if he gets off. Um, And if he gets off, we really do need to make the assumption, I suppose, that he didn't do it. You can't operate on any other assumption. No, Um, I know. know, Yeah, yeah, like I know exactly what you're saying, but the CCTV footage and all the rest of it apparently coming through. So either, and they've dropped half of them already. Um, So if he did it, um, you know, I would have a huge problem with them signing him. Um, but that's the Lodge difference. Lodge did do it and everyone knows that. And I yep. didn't want him here for those reasons. And in this case, someone's been charged with doing something. And if he gets, I wouldn't want the Knights to sign him if he does uh, get convicted, but I also won't have to worry about it because there's no way the NRL are going to sign a contract for him this March if he gets done for um, those sorts of charges. So, um, but around the group and everything, yeah, that, that, that can always be a worry. Um, I think it just comes back to, like, what are we going to get? I think we will get a motivated player. It doesn't always work that way. You, there's times where you thought Joey Leilua would come back because he's motivated and he's down on his luck, and he never did. He just torched <laughs> everywhere he went. The Tigers would have thought they were getting a prove a point Leilua. So I accept this isn't a golden rule. It can go the other way. Uh, but Milford is at the point where he will either not get a job next year or he will get, I suspect, five to $600,000 off Wayne at Redcliffe. Like, that's the best case if he played well this year. If he comes and plays well at the Knights, he, the difference could be not having any job unless he's prepared to go to England in his mid-20s and he may not want to, or he could be seriously on half a million dollars Next year, if he came out and play, went on a tear and played good football, he'll likely get signed at Redcliffe, who are struggling to find some players for really good cash. So that's what's up for grabs. I've heard he spent the off-season working with um, you know, a sprint coach and doing his stuff and trying to put his name forward. So everything I've heard, he's keen, as he should be, to prove his career. And I don't think you're wrong. I just think it's, it's – I would, in all the circumstances, I would still take the risk at the moment on it. Um, you know – I look around the league, even just stylistically wise, I, the Knights were overstructured and slow last year around the spine. Yep. And we've come into this preseason and Clifford scored two running tries and looked really nice in the preseason, swapping to his preferred side. Now that Pierce has gone, um, you watch how Melbourne play and they were playing like, you know, they play Jerome Hughes as just this running half. You know, he's barely a halfback, right? He was a career fullback who just runs the ball mm. and goes really well. And Munster's a fullback who runs on the other side. So they basically run three fullbacks. And at Newcastle, would have a really, even stylistically, a, a way to get rid of that clunky, structured football. If you started running Clifford on one side and Milford on the other and Ponga, you all of a sudden have those running. Kiri's a good example too and Walker. You have these running threats all over the field like some of the good sides have built um, and it could work really nicely, especially when he's just not under the pressure that happened at Brisbane. I, I've always thought they mismanaged him. I think a lot's on him too. Don't get me wrong. I think he's lazy or has been, and I think he coasted. But 
but they sort of put him on a million bucks, couldn't afford Hunt, and then said, well, if you want a million dollars, you've got to manage the game. And it was like, well, hang on. That's never what he was good at. You, you pay him a million dollars to do the things he's good at and get him a managing half, or you don't pay him the million dollars if you think that's management money, because I'm sorry, Anthony Milford never managed the game. You go back and watch that Churchill performance. You go back and watch that amazing season. He didn't manage anything. He was no. a threat, a, a ball running dangerous threat it didn't matter whether it was five eight like he was then or he was fullback like he was at the Raiders he's just threatening when he was running the football and I think they very much said well if you want that money you've got to play in this way that is totally nothing like you were ever good at and the more he went away from that the more that pressure got on him and admittedly he played a role in that too it didn't work well and if Newcastle get him down here and say we don't want you to organise crap. Get out there and get the ball on the edges and be a danger with the ball. It could work out. I wouldn't take that risk for 500, but I'm taking it for 150 if, if you're looking at Clune and Crossland fighting for that position otherwise. And I don't even think he'll start. I think he'll come down here. I think they'll put him on the bench for a couple of weeks. And if he shows signs and he's looking good and we're not getting the wins that we want early, which we probably won't with our draw, then he'll get a run pretty quickly. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd still sign him anyway, regardless of all. Yeah all of what I said and everything else. I mean, I think that the point that you raised with Wayne is a real dangerous one because I don't think that he needs to play well, you know, get through this season playing well at all to get that contract. I actually think that Wayne will just sign him anyway. Yeah, and probably the risk. And, you know, maybe that Wayne and the Dolphins are just waiting for his charges to be dropped and free to be cleared by the NRL. And as soon as he signs True. that Newcastle contract, three weeks later, all of a sudden it's, oh, and Anthony Milford has now got a three-year, $5 million deal to go to the Dolphins after this year. And, you know, that happens. And that's the worst thing in the world for Newcastle. And, like, Wayne could just really... Go, go back and just throw another stab into Newcastle's spine, even though he's not coaching there anymore and everything. And everyone in Newcastle thought they've seen the back away and they don't have to worry about him anymore. And he just comes in with another <laughs> little jab and just goes, there you go, got you again. Milford's just yeah. going to be lazy again from round four now because he's getting paid for the next three years. Anyway, you know, I could really see that happening. And honestly, like even for the Dolphins, like I couldn't, if they overpay him, it's going to be bad and they probably will. So it probably will be bad, but they, they, there really is no quality. As far as, um, you know, they've signed some older Fords, but none of those Fords have spark. Um, they, they really need a back that's got a bit of spark, that's got a bit of it's excitement, at least for the fans there. He's obviously from Queensland, Milford. You know, it's just, it makes too much sense that the Dolphins are going to sign him. And I, I just don't think that they're going to wait and see how he goes for Newcastle. I think there's a good chance it yeah. happens early. And you mentioned that Milford's lazy. Imagine how lazy he's going to be if he gets all that in the bag really early. But look, let's stop talking about Milford. It's been far too much and you've gotten way too much free run talking about your Newcastle Knights. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't do that to me. And don't start on Wayne and Newcastle in four hours. <laughs> <laughs> look, another big thing the last few days has been uh, Gus Gould coming out and absolutely rubbishing claims that the Dragons could be a wooden spoon contender. I found this amusing on so many different levels and I, I'm just going to throw out there to be completely honest straight away. I actually responded to this article on Twitter and the bloke that wrote the article from um, from Channel 9 from the wide world of sports actually, you know, retweeted and and had a crack at me for for responding on it. Uh, I'm I'm staggered. Like Phil Gould is staggered that the St. George Laura Dragons are in contention for the wooden spoon. By the way, I feel like every bookie has them as a bottom one to three team uh, on the book market. Bookies generally make money. You know, you don't see bookies not make money. So it's probably a good start. Uh, but the other thing too is that 
I just don't see when you're looking at the league why you would think the Dragons are a top eight team from what we've seen. Certainly if we see some games out of them and they improve out of sight and everything, it's fine. But the funny thing is in this article as well that was supporting Gould because it is a wide world of sports, uh, the writer actually said the Dragons hauled in a host of prize recruits over the summer. Prize recruits, including <laughs> George oh. Burgess, Jaden Sewer, Aaron Woods, Francis Molo, and Moses Suley. Wow. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's hauling in prize recruits. And I, I really took exception with that because I really hate, one of the things I hate in all reporting, but it's, especially when it comes over into sports reporting, is when you do stuff just to get clicks or you try and sensationalise things or use propaganda. You really don't need to. You know, so don't do it. Not everybody is a prize recruit, okay? George Burgess is playing with one hip, you know, and when the when I was called out a little bit on Twitter, I kind of made the point, well, you're saying these guys are all prize recruits. They're all fantastic prize recruits that everybody wanted. George Burgess and Aaron Woods were probably out of the league if the Dragons didn't give them minimum contracts. And George Burgess, by the way, is coming in to play with one hip and the last couple of years hasn't been able to play football. And Aaron Woods would be lucky to play again. Jane and Sewer, okay, he's a decent signing. I actually don't rate Sewer that highly, but I could be swayed and, you know, different opinion on players, fine. Francis Molo has been a bench forward. Don't give me that he's a Queensland representative player. Corey Allen's a Queensland representative player. Don't tell me he's a prized recruit because nobody would sign Corey Allen at the moment if he came on the open market either. And and Moses Suley, who, yeah, he's got some potential, but look, he hasn't. He's burned his bridges pretty much everywhere he's been. He was coming off the bench for Manly or dropped in reserve grade a lot of the year for Brad Parker and guys like that. You know, these these aren't prized recruits. And I don't know what Phil Gould is drinking, thinking that St. George Illawarra are in the top eight and or even blowing up why people would would have them in the sort of the bottom three or four range, you know. It's, it's remarkable to me how narratives can get turned around in rugby league and how these players can all look, be looked at as this phenomenal recruitment exercise from the Dragons, how they nabbed these guys that were obviously in such hot demand from everyone else in the NRL and they went to the Dragons and how we can look at them and be surprised that people think that they're going to be at the bottom. Am I completely underrating the Dragons recruitment drive here? And, and should I be with Phil on, on the, the Dragons being a lot better than what everybody um, else rates them? No, no, not at all. Um, I've had a real problem with this all off season, the um, mad support of Griffin Ball, because I, I go through and I did some notes before this app when I saw this on the points. And I've, if you want to see my list of the same players, it says Stewart dot dash regularly benched by South Sydney, which is true. In fact, was dropped once or twice, but he was regularly on the bench for the Rabbitohs last year. Um, I know he's played for Queensland. I know he's a bit of a name, but no. Moses and by dot dash bench at the Tigers dot dash bench at the Dragons. So like, what difference is that going to make? George Burgess has a tin hip and has been finished for five years. Um, now, look, he was a really destructive player five years ago, and I wish him all the best in coming back from hip surgery that nobody's made it back to professional sport or professional rugby league with before. But um, very, very bad when he left, like barely able to play first grade when he left the NRL. Um, not many people go to, are like done here and on the bench, go to England, have mad revolutionary hip surgery, play in the UK and somehow come back well to Australia. In fact, without the hip surgery, not many people go there and come back and go well. No. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's a B 
best of luck to him and I'm sure they didn't pay much. So, you know, if that works out, I don't mind them taking a punt if they've done their due diligence, but don't tell me that it's like we should be predicting it to improve them. Um, Woods is a guy that was a big name player, fell completely off the cliff, returned some okay form at Cronulla where I would say he's a reasonable first grade player and that's it now. So cool. And Suli, as you've identified, is a very big risk. He's a very talented player who's very temperamental, had a lot of problems and we wait to see how that goes. Um, what you've also got to look at is who they've lost. So yes, um, if we look from an attacking point of view, they've gained Moses and Bai, who's a utility um, and, and Suli, who's a centre. So, okay, they've got Suli, an attacking centre in, who's hit and miss. Moses and Bayer, who's a bench utility. They lost Matt Dufty, who was their best attacking player. So, you know, that's in and out isn't a huge bonus. They lost, they've gained three, four forwards with Molo, um, Burgess, Woods and Sua, but lost Paul Vaughan, who was one of their better front rowers as well, albeit he dropped off. His numbers aren't that bad. He was still playing reasonable football. He just wasn't at the rep level he'd been. So they've gained some depth there. Um, certainly they have more guys who are at a first grade level, but I, I don't think any of them are better players than Paul Lorne at all. And so, you know, they've probably lost their top quality player and replaced him with three or four solid guys who can play first grade. Um, just solid front rowers, adding them to your roster, adding depth front row, fix your position on the table. Not for me. Um, the way I see St. George is that they're a side that if they're going to improve, it depends totally on this next generation. It depends if a Monet can play and the signs are okay there, but it's not enough yet. You can't make that decision. Luke Brooks played the best debut game I've ever seen and look how that turned out. You can't just watch a couple of games and call it. But Amone Sloan, who has a lot of ability, but we haven't seen enough of yet to make a call. Um, and Sullivan, when he gets a go, which he will at some point of the year. Those, those guys, along with your Lomax, are the ones that are going to decide if, if St. George go up. All, all Griffin has done has moved a couple of big salaries on. He'll probably move Sims next um, and move a couple of these big bloated salaries on. And he's pinch hit with guys with professional experience to put into the side. McCulloch, like he did with McCulloch last year. So they're guys that will make some tackles, get them into some sort of game state. And it will depend totally on whether these young guys are any good, how they go. And the odds of those young guys carrying them all the way up to this, the ladder this year are very low. They, they, they really are. I, I think it's a very strange call to think that they're going to be particularly good. And one of my biggest bugbears is what I call name signing. Um, and that's what they've done. And it's what the, the Bulldogs did. Sorry, the Tigers did that I mentioned before when I talked about them signing Reynolds and Mbai and what the Bulldogs did with, with Napa. Um, the, the, the Parramatta have been shocking for it over the years. There was the year that they signed like Carl Webb, Paul Fatawira and Chris Hicks or when they were like, <laughs> you know, like 35. Um, because it, it, what it is, is guys go, you look at the Dragons, you go, Jaden Sewer, Moses Mbai, George Burgess, Aaron Woods. Oh yeah, I've heard of these guys. That's a good sign. They're good players. I've heard of them because casual fans know who they are, um, but they're not good signings. Like they weren't playing good football and they haven't, you know, Sewer, people have different opinions on Sewer. I'll give you that. I just disagree. The rest of them, they're not playing good football. They haven't been good for a while. It's empty name value like your Kane Evanses and your Dylan Nappers that just comes from the fact that they were at one stage either in a good team or playing okay. Uh, and they've been in the paper. Yeah. And it's not a way to recruit. It's not a way to recruit. It's, it's just not. It's just, uh, look, I don't actually have a huge problem overall with the Dragons recruitment. Like, no, and not, not hugely. It, it's just relative to how it's being portrayed. 
and how That's some people exactly are right. going on yep. about it. You know, like yep. I actually, I actually defended Aaron Woods the last sort of two years and sort of mm. said, you know, as a Roosters fan, I'd actually like to sign Aaron Woods to a minimum contract deal and put him on the bench um, yeah. because I think that he's good. Um, teams like the Storm and and the Pan- and those top teams, even teams like Parramatta and stuff, you know, they probably should sign Aaron Woods to a minimum deal. But it's not, it's not a bad signing. No. But Newcastle the same. If you got the Saifedis and Clemmer having Woods on minimum contract to just get you some minutes, you go boom. That's a really mm. good pickup. It's it's what you said. It's relative to the fact that I, I'm not. I, I sound like I've really criticised these signings. It's not quite that because he got most of them on OK money. It's criticising the idea that there's just some wildly successful and huge recruitment drive yeah, that drives exactly. their, their position up the ladder because that's not what's true. No. They're just you know guys that will come in and make sure they're not completely hopeless and the ass falls out of them in the middle and stuff. And you need these role player signings. These sort of role player signings are really important, but they're more important to either building a young team, which these guys are, Mm. um, which in which case it's not going to happen overnight um, or um, going into top eight teams and helping them, you know, cement their spot in the top eight or the top four or be able to contend a bit more with some experience when it comes to finals footy. You know, these signings have a place, but to call them prized recruits is just ludicrous. And I even got on the, on a Twitter reply on it, George Burgess and Aaron Woods played for Australia and for, for England for several years. They're, international, they're former international stars. Well, why don't you just go and sign Nathan Hindmarsh then? You know, <laughs> he's been in a grand yeah. final. He's got more caps than all of them. He's played for Australia. He's played for New South Wales. He's led in tackles on all active players if you pop him in the league again. Does that mean Nathan Highmarsh is a great player mm. because he's done all these things? You know, well, it's Matt, Moy- Matt Moylan has done. Uh, Matt Moylan's played for Australia. What would you have said? Would they would they have written that St George won a role for the top eight? <laughs> yeah. They signed Matt Moylan for this season. Oh mate, um, Premiership favourites. That's. Yeah, forgetting being facetious with Hindmarsh, which is not untrue. I would have made the same point. But I mean, you can literally pick guys playing right now that if you signed, and the Knights signing Milford, like he was an absolute gun, played for Queensland, Churchill, and like these are the same things, right? Like they're not, that's just the dumbest argument in the world. Like plenty of people have done things at some stage of their career, but it matters in what context and when it happened. Not <laughs> like Aaron Woods didn't play for Australia recently. You know what I mean? Like he was not even getting, he's barely a starter at some points. Um, he has picked up a bit. In, like I don't want to, bag him too much because I think he's he was nowhere near as good as anyone thought he was but is now better than people think he was in the weird sort of circle oh, of look he's way, at the but, end of his career yeah. like it's not yeah. it's not he, any he side on guys now. like Woods yeah. because at the end of no. your career this is what you are and if you know other guys yeah. would be out of the league if they were him so he's done well yeah. it's it's probably like year 12 or something in the NRL for him it's completely fine how he's going and it's yeah, definitely totally. not a slide yeah. on him um, no. Guys like Surly, though, like you know, he's on big dollars, so that's that's a big risk. That's it's a, a big, big it's a risk, really big risk. Uh, but he could he could pay off. But the the worry that I have with guys like Surly and like I, I don't want to make myself sound like I'm saying I'm smarter than Gus Gould. I'm definitely not. Gould is a very smart footy brain. He's, he's done a lot in the game and whatever. I'm not trying to pin myself against Gould, but I would expect someone like Gould to see what I see with Surly. And that is that he could come out and look really good to fans and bump a lot of players off, score a barnstorming try and stuff, but still in football terms not be good because of the little things that guys like Gould know that teams need, like discipline, um, defensive lapses that happen, um, not making mistakes and being able to play an 80-minute game of football, being able to play consistently for months on end instead of a game every four, things like that that a lot of casual fans won't see if he does a few good things and a few Moses Sully things, 
that I think are going to be there that are going to be an issue. But look, to- even off the field on him though, in the last one, one of the big flags for me, and I give Des, cre- Des Hasler a lot of credit for this, but it becomes a problem when it's a money signing. When, when Hasler got him cheap or when Manly got him cheap, he, he put on all this weight. Like he was like 130 kegs and Hasler was like hand delivering every meal mm. that he was to eat to his house every day. Like getting it. I'm sure he probably had someone else drop him off, but you know what I mean? Like they designed every, every plan was planned out, sent to his house, eat this, do this, train this way. And they got a lot out of him that way. They, they really, they, they got the cheap signing, like we talked about with the Milford, right? And they did, they left no stone unturned in squeezing value out of him. And he was pretty good for them for what they paid and all that sort of thing. But the situation that you're in now is when you're paying the big money, are you prepared to go and do all that stuff? Or are you going to say you're a senior player or you're a, you're a big signing? You've got to take some responsibility because I'm not even bagging him. Every personality is different, but we haven't seen from him that he can take that responsibility for his own preparation, his own professionalism and performance yet. So you really have to think about that before you pay him a lot of money because he may come with all the commitment to playing well and bump people off, but he's not going to keep bumping people off if he comes in 15 kilos overweight again. And those are the risks that might not show up at round one. It might not even be this year. It might be next year. You know what I mean? We've seen it with Joey Leilua. Like You just don't know. Joey Leilua um, is what exactly gonna, what I was going to bring get. up as a yeah, comparison. It's, yeah. You, you don't know when it's going to happen. And Griffin as a coach, if he's backing himself to get the best out of him, good luck to him. But I'd be, I just, when you back yourself to get the stuff, the best out of these guys. I don't like to commit too much money to it because everyone thinks they can do it. And I'd rather be in a situation where I'm like 200 grand, I'll back myself to get all of this out of Suli, but I don't want to be paying him star money um, and taking that risk that he just doesn't, that we can't get that consistency of weight and training and everything else out of him because you don't do that. You don't survive in the NRL. It doesn't matter how good you are. Yeah, and Suli and Suli are definitely two guys that I think were overpaid and they're not going into a situation either in the Dragons where, you know, you made really good points with Suli with how Manly managed him. You know, Des is a very experienced coach and he's a winning coach. He's been to grand finals. He's done it all. And he's got an experienced leadership group around him too. Like even outside of the stars like DC and and mm. Turbo, you know, they've got Jake there as well. They've got guys like Four in there. They've got a lot of experience there that can pull Marty those. Marty Tapao. Marty Tapao, yep. Yeah. Got a lot of guys to pull Suli in line and to really make Suli be accountable and do what he's told and also manage him um, and it, for it to work when you're managing him. You know, if you're in a dragon side that the, that's sort of lost a few games in a row and sitting bottom three, and it's all young guys around him, aside from a few sprinkling of sort of role-playing older guys, you know, yeah. if if Hook's tried to deliver him, he's, um, he's, you know, hello, fresh meals every day or whatever, he's likely to say thanks, mate, and put it straight in the bin and then drive to Macca's when Hook leaves the driveway. You know, like... Well, it's... that's the other thing is he's a known Hook is... Well, I'd love to see him do it. <laughs> um, I hope we can get that on camera. But that's the other thing with Hook is he is a to call you out and have a bark at your coach. Like Matt Moylan, rightly or wrongly, I don't want to debate on whether this is okay or not because I suspect I know where you'll, you'll fall. But, um, <laughs> but, but Hook used to get Moylan when he was captain in the sheds and bake him in front of people and shred him and everything. And that's old school. And you can have a view on whether you should or shouldn't do that. But it pushed a guy like Moylan away. Um, and you can say that's because he of his personality or you can say it was bad coaching don't care which side of the fence you fall on, but what do you think is going to happen if he starts tearing strips off a guy like Moses Suli in the sheds? I just don't see that as working out well. Um, 
I, I like, I think Sully has heaps of potential and he seems like when you hear him talk, he actually seems like a nice kid. And I really hope it works out. But what we're talking about is do you want to take the big money punt with all these question marks on it? And is it a star signing? Is it going to turn the dragons? And I look and say, they let you and Aitken go midway through last year, right? Would you rather have you and Aitken on say three quarters of the money Sully's on or half the money and know what you're getting? How big of an upgrade is Sully with the inconsistencies and everything else that's coming along, it's all well to say, oh, we signed a good centre, but do you really, you got to look at some of these things. You've already got Lomax, who's a, a strike weapon. Some of these other guys, maybe that was a position to get value in and not risk a lot of your salary on this. I don't know, but I'm prepared to see how they go. I think they've got some good young players, but I'm just not, uh, it would be, if they came above, I think 10 to 12 could be a range. I think they've got a reasonable floor built into them with Hunt and a solid working forward pack. But I don't really see, unless Sloan and Amone and these guys just have your Kalen Ponger or Tim Smith or Cherry Evans debut season sort of thing. I know they've played a couple of games, but unless some of those guys have your out of the box, wow, we didn't see that coming early season. Mm-hmm. I just don't see the firepower to be a, a, a challenging top no. six to top eight side. That's all what I think. I don't either. And it's yeah. funny that you mentioned someone like Aitken because it's a really good example too with these signings on looking past the actual name signing of, you know, that signing, yeah. looking at it in context of the team that signed him. So Aitken is a guy, like you said, on less money than Suli. Um, he was moved on and a lot of the tags on Aitken were his defense wasn't up to par. He had defensive yeah, well, lapses. So yeah, you've replaced yeah. you've moved him on to replace <laughs> yeah. him with Moses Suli, who is quite lazy at times and his biggest thing is, you know, his defense and his IQ in football. Yeah. You know, so it, yeah. it, that's that that alone. But wait, there's more. And then, you know, we've said forever, I know I certainly have said for three years, put you and Aiken on an edge, play him in the Fords. He used to be a Ford in lower grades. He mm. said he'd like to do it. Put him there. Come on, Dragons. Come on, Dragons. And never happens. And then he goes on an edge for the back half of last year at New Zealand and was arguably, along with Curran, their best forward for the last third of the season. You know, he played really well on an edge. And, and lo and behold, St. George have gone, okay, we need an experienced edge player. Let's go for Jaden Sewer. And again, pay him more money than what you and Aitken is currently on. And, you know, Sewer can put on some better hits than Aitken. I'd question whether he's a better edge forward than what Aitken is if Aitken gets a few more games under his belt on an edge in an NRL game. So there's that as well. But look, in summary, for Gould's outburst and, and Channel 9, you know, really supporting the Dragons, I'm not saying the Dragons are terrible, guys. <laughs> I'm just staggered that uh, Phil Gould and... Some people at Wide World of Sports want to rate them at their ceiling, which is, you know, everything going right and all these youngsters busting out and whatever. Yeah, I can see them winning a lot more games than what we expect. But to think that that there's no chance that they're a bottom two or three team is just outrageous to me. Let's move along. Let's talk about another controversial issue. Another team that's a bit under the pump the last 12 months, the North Queensland Cowboys. Jason Tomalolo is obviously a $10 million man, 10-year deal until I think 2027 or 28, so a long time now still. Jesus, yeah. Um, someone like Corey Parker recently called out and said they need to negotiate a release um, with Tomalolo, <laughs> get out of that. That was quite mm. out of the box. Um, other people have said that they need to probably get more out of Tomalolo than what they did. Tomalolo last year was very much at loggerheads with his coach. Um, certainly Peyton 
did some very strange things. I've actually, Peyton has probably been the guy in the biggest hot seat out of any coach to keep his job in the first half of the NRL season in 2022. Uh, they have come out and now said uh, with one of the assistant coaches, Dean Young, saying that um, Tom Lolo is going to get much more minutes. He's going to be playing it. Not a prop like some people were trying to suggest. He's going to play 13. We're going to play big minutes into him because we need him to lead the way. It is a start, Luke. It is a way to sort of mend that mm-hmm. relationship and to get the best out of Tom Bololo again. And it has been, I know, a bugbear of yours as well, where we've both laughed about how, you know, people like Todd Payton say, as a club, we need to, you know, we've got this guy for 10 years. We need to manage him. We need to make sure in 10 years' time he's just as destructive, blah, blah. When the reality is anyone with any sense of football knows that no player is the same in 10 years' time. They've got their prime years. Mm. And if you waste their prime years, you're not going to get those back later on. And if they're going to, you know, you want them to be fresher later on with less injuries, as a coach, what good is that going to do you? You're probably going to be three jobs on at that point by 2027. Mm. So it's not going to win you football games. All it's going to do is help you miss the playoffs and help your team go worse, help you lose your job sooner and frustrate the fans even more. You've, you've got your best players that are top-tier players, you have them on the field as much as you can. If they can be effective for 80 minutes, you put them on the field for 80 minutes. If they're someone like Tom Malolo, maybe it's 65 minutes. But don't tell me that you need to wrap them in cotton wool for 45, 50 minutes like they were trying to say last year because you're a bottom two or three team in the whole NRL. You know That's not going to help you. Uh, so I've always had a massive issue with, with those type of statements and things like that. One of the things before I hand over to you, Luke, that I did find quite puzzling, though, Tom Malolo, uh was one of the people that, that didn't have a vaccination status. Uh, he came out only a couple of weeks ago and said that he's good to go. Really bizarrely handled to me by the, the North Queensland Cowboys. You know, they put him in a situation with, a, with the media to answer questions um, that they knew were going to be about his status. Uh, he came out and said that he's right to play. Uh, they said, are you vaccinated? He said, it's my personal information. I'm not going to tell you. And they said, well, does that mean that you've got an exemption? I'm not going to tell you. And it went on and on and on to basically, you know, Tom Malolo snapping at reporters and things and to the point that a, um, an, a Cowboys media representative jumped in and sort of stopped the questioning a little bit. But basically what came out of it was no information other than Tom Malolo will be able to play this year. Some people might think it's a small thing, but to me that really shows a little bit a little bit of a peek behind the curtain and how things are going at the Cowboys because even something little like that, you know, it was their star player. It was poorly managed. And then as a result, I think it looked pretty poor in the media, both for the media coverage, but also for fans to see Tom Lolo react like that and get quite bristly about stuff that should have been fine. And certainly wasn't, uh, I guess, a guy that's seemed happy or <laughs> ready to go for the Cowboys or ready to turn things around. I just I don't know what to make of Tom Lolo and the Cowboys at this point. There's obviously been a lot, all this chatter, Luke, and all these different things happening in the last few months and certainly through last year. Do you think they mend the relationship? Do you think the Tom Lolo comes out and gets back to his best and him and Peyton are, are on good terms and the Cowboys can go and sort of have a better year than what maybe we expect? Um, well, it'll be pretty simple. He'll have a better year if they play him in the role that made him the best forward in the world without really any competition for like the last four years before Peyton got there, which was just playing at lock for 65 minutes. And that is resting him because he can play 80 minutes, like 65 minutes is managing him. Um, If they keep screwing him around and trying to teach him to pass, which he's no good at, or teaching him to play on an edge, which he's never been any good at, then they won't. 
Um, and it's really as simple as that. Like, I don't care what relationship he has with the coach. Like, I'm not saying it doesn't matter at all, but he's a running forward. If they put him at lock forward and tell him to take lots of runs, he's too big and strong for anyone to tackle and always has been. And whenever he's played that role, he's been the best forward in the competition, makes the most metres. Um, he's so damaging late in halves. He's, there's so many times you'd know from owning him in Supercoach that he's on 20 points after 20 minutes, but those last five, six minutes of the halves, he starts going through everyone. And it's, like, it's always like you think when you don't own him, you're always like, yes, I'm going to get him cheap soon. And then it's like line break, line break, like in the back end of those halves because <laughs> he just runs. He's too big and too quick. Um, I've seen him live a couple of times and I've watched him goose step around people on a line break and you look and you go, holy hell, how does anyone ever tackle him? Like he's, he's one of those few athletes that's so athletic that if he'd been in, born in America, he'd be some damaging NFL player. Like he's actually that level of athlete mm. naturally. Yep. Like he's that, he's that to make it in the NFL in a country that big with so few teams, you have to be that big and that quick. And he's both. And we don't have many players like that here. We have big players and quick players, but his agility and pace is, is incredible. And if they play him in that role, he'll do well. Um, the vaccination stuff I did find weird, but I think uh, there's a real undercurrent of um, uh, vaccine myth, mistrust and a few things like that in the Tongan community. And without getting too deep into that, I wonder if he doesn't want to go into it too much because it's a bit of a controversial point in, in the Tongan community um, and with some of the Islanders and whether that's played some role in him wanting to just totally try and keep away and not discuss it but mm. at the same time like he's had to discuss it because it's a question and maybe that made it a bit more awkward I don't know it was a weird conference and I'll probably you know leave it at that for the moment because we'll find out that's, when he plays. That, that's yeah, all fair enough yeah. with that though right and yeah. I agree with you and like if he doesn't want to talk about it that's yeah. his right but like how badly is that managed then like, yeah to put him up by, there. like yeah. really by both of them but really mainly from the Cowboys point of view because he's he's a leader in your club and you're going to put him up for that comp, that media scrum and you knowingly that that's going to come up, like if you know that he doesn't want to talk about it, it's not going to come off good. And to me also, like it, I don't think it came off good for him either no, because if no. he's a leader of your club and that's your leader and that's the guy that's meant to lead your team and that's the type of, I don't want to say attitude, but I will, uh, and how he spoke to the media about it and how bristly he got, you know, that's, that's not how you lead a team or a club, you know, for all for all the things I don't like about Daily Cherry Evans, he speaks very well. He plays the media game very well and he says the right things. You know, it's Tom Alolo was the opposite in that. And the Cowboys were the opposite of a well-run club in putting that, putting that media scrum down. They may as well have just not done anything, released a media statement themselves and said, Tom Alolo will be fine to play for the year. He won't be discussing his personal medical information. That would, that have, been would have been fine. fine. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I think that probably handles that situation. And like I said, when it comes to playing, I just think it's really simple. Um, he's still, in my opinion, going to be the best forward in the game if they use him at what he's good at and what they won't be good at. I talk about like a coach catches, you know, uh, a coach sneezes and everyone gets a, the whole comp gets a cold, is the saying. And, and that's been a problem yep. for a while. And Peyton is falling into that trap at the moment where he has the world's most destructive lock forward um, who can play a style of game that you can play off the back of. You can use him to basically, if you want to run plays and you want to run fast rucks, all you've got to do is get a decent play one and then take Tamalolo play two or three to take the big run, get you to play the ball. And he sets everything you want to do up and you can set things up all over the field with that. And to boot, he makes line breaks and does other things himself too. So he can give you spark in his own way. Like he's actually an attacking player, even though he's a non-offloading, non-passing forward because he runs through people. Um, and when he doesn't, he sets up your next play. So you've got him. 
Um, and if you spend the whole time trying to develop him to play like Victor Radley, you're stuffed because he like he isn't good, any good at it at all. He is no good at passing the football at all. He doesn't offload. He doesn't pass. He has no pass selection. And none of that matters because he is wildly destructive and dangerous if you play your way. And coaching is about using what you have. And mm. you have a forward who is worth the money he's on now. We can debate whether he will be later, but he's absolutely worth the money he is on now in my opinion if you use him properly or at the very least they have far bigger worries about the sorts of money they've paid other players which would take us too long to go into Val Holmes and Townsend um, that there's much bigger concerns than his money he, he can be one of the best players in the competition if he plays 65 minutes at locked forward and you let him cut loose and when you've got big games you make that 75 when you've got a game and it's tight and you need to win you can leave him out there for those extra minutes and I accept that if the result's over in either direction then you keep it at that 65 just to keep some miles in his yeah. legs um, and play it that way. But that that's all that needs to happen. And if that happens, he we will sit here at the end of the year and he'll look great for super coach. He'll look great in real life. And if they keep stuffing around, trying to get too cute and playing tactics and moving him around and doing all this nonsense that Peyton is falling into the trap of, they just won't because he's not good at anything else except running over people. But he is very, very, very good at that. So they shouldn't put him at fullback like Granville? Oh, God, yeah. Well, that's the, that's the standard, <laughs> isn't it? Like, Glenville, Granville's gone to fullback and centre. Like, Valentine Holmes is on a million bucks and is now playing centre. Like, I have no faith that this will work out because Peyton is all over the shop. He signed Drinkwater after signing. You want to talk? He, he signed Townsend and went hard at Dearden. So he paid 700 plus for Townsend. Well, you can debate whether that's any good. I suspect I know where you fall. He paid up for Dearden. Even if you think Drinkwater's better, why is he paying Drinkwater to play off his bench? Like why? It, they're paying him good money as well. So they've got a million dollars. Drinkwater might not even play the bench. No, like, the, that's, <laughs> sometimes that's they're not even right? making the bench. And, and he's an NRL half. So they're paying him reasonable money to when he has no position in the starting team. You can't pay an above average NRL half to not play. So he signed himself three halves. He got a million dollar fullback and or winger that now is playing center. So someone else can play fullback. He has a million dollar lock, which he tried to play as an, a ball playing edge forward slash front rower slash, I don't even know. And that's the problem. He can, if he can stop tinkering, he'll get the most out of Talmalolo. But if he doesn't, they don't need to cut Talmalolo's deal. They need to cut Payton's. That's what they need to do. Oh, they <laughs> definitely do. And look, the, the thing is with those guys too, it's funny the the stat that's really interesting is that, that, you know, between Val Holmes and Drinkwater, those are the guys that led them mm. in triasis and also try involvements yep. as well. I think they were right up there too. And, you know, Holmes has been moved and the other guy in Drinkwater isn't it, even in the team oh, at the moment. And that's so. the thing with Val. If you want to, if you want to play, I like Hammersau at fullback. I've watched him and I think he's got real upside. But if you want that move, you could have spent the off-season trying to palm Holmes off for a large part of that salary because someone would have taken it. There, he's a very... Mm. Um, he's a high-level player, um, albeit he, he hasn't been at his best. He's a big-name value. Like, I mean, the Knights might have taken it and moved Ponga to six, whatever. You could have moved 700, 800,000 of that off if you didn't want it, and that's a better deal than playing him at centre. So, well, look, you could have paid 250 of that deal, and a team would think about putting him on the wing because that's, yep. that's also a really good position if he's and where he's excelled at origin. You, if you're going to pay a quarter of a mil off to save 500 or whatever, um, you know, a team might go, well, 500K for an origin winger that's proven to be really good at the best level on the wing. Yeah. And I can put somewhere else if I get injuries. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take a bite on that. Yeah, and some of the top exactly. teams might have. 
um, the Parramatta Eels come to mind. Yeah, you know, 100%. The, someone would have definitely taken a deal like that and they just haven't, uh, I don't, uh, it's, uh, you know, you either play him at fullback, but try and play him at centre for a million dollars. And, you know, that was a, a large part of my problem with the Corey Parker comment is it's just a stupid vacuum of they need to get out of Telma Lolo and cut this when all these other much worse things are going on, like bench halves on good money, Valentine Holmes playing centre and the massive signing of Chad Townsend on huge coin when he couldn't even make the Cronulla side last year. It's just, oh. um, don't get me started on that, please. But let's just say they have other issues and leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> They've definitely got other issues. So, I mean, the obviously the growing groundswell that's being chatted about behind closed doors is at the moment, you know, is Tom Malala and the Cowboys better off in parting ways for each party? Where are you? Tom Malala will be because um, he would go to, um, unfortunately, probably someone like um, the salary sombrero roosters <laughs> and um, quite possibly be the best forward in the world and actually be able to go well where, because when he makes all those meters and sets that up, they would do something with it and stop complaining mm. about how good he is at it. Well. And, you know, they, they would do something with that. Um, but the Cowboys will not be better off without him. They would be the way they played last year, but that's their decision. They'll be better off with him because they use him badly. They won't be better off without him if he's playing his best football. And I still believe the only thing stopping that is how they use him. I, I don't think he's forgotten how to run through people. It's just not happening with what they're asking him to do. I mean, I kind of get it in the sense that, you know, normally it sounds silly to say, look, if if you take someone's best player out, they're going to be better off. But sometimes if the player doesn't want to be there and is looking mm. ahead and knowing that they're there for five more years, then maybe the best thing is for the club as well to move on because they don't want to be there and, you know, it's they're going to be negative and it's going to, mm. perp- it's going to be around the joint and the other players and stuff and all those sort of things that you hear, you know, culturally and all those sort of things. It's just going to get worse and worse. So maybe they are better off. The thing is, though, like if you move someone like Tom Lolo from the Cowboys to frap a million dollars a year, they've already shown that they're not going to spend that well anyway. So if it was a club that was going to spend well, so, you know, if you had a team that maybe has really good management, you'd go, look, you know, I could, I still wouldn't do it, but I could maybe see the argument developing that we don't want this to get worse. We're going to have to do it eventually because he doesn't want to be here. The relationship's burnt with the coach and also the organisation. We can get in this ex-Origin star for 750k a year to replace him straight away and then have another 250 mm. to play. You can kind of talk your way around the narrative that maybe it might work for both parties. I don't think that Corey Parker thought about that when he made the comment myself, but, you know, no, any I don't event. think he thinks before he makes any comment. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to work for the Cowboys. Look, hopefully that they both work it out. I'm I'm really interested to see how this storyline of Tom Alolo, Peyton and the Cowboys unfolds for the season. I do need to mention the fantastic partner of the NRL All-Stars podcast being Top Sport. Top Sport are 100% Australian-owned bookmaker. You can go to topsport.com.au or you can download their app and jump on there and have a look at the odds because the odds are often the best in market. Do gamble responsibly when you are betting, but if you do like to have a punt, make an account at Top Sport and make sure you use promo code SC Allstars or one word, SC Allstars, and they'll know that you're one of our listeners. Open your account with that promo code. They'll take real good care of you. So jump on to Top Sport now. They've got some great, great odds up, including for round one where you can get someone like the West Tigers at over $4.00. Whole Melbourne spine could be out. It's one of the ones that I'm looking at, even just give them the start and see how they go because they've got a good record against Melbourne. Will be a huge upset though. But jump on www.topsport.com.au, promo code SC All Stars. 
Luke, another chat and footy episode in the bag. So much to always talk about. Appreciate talking. Appreciate you jumping on so I could talk footy with you again. That was great, mate. Really enjoyed it. Hope to be back on again soon. Excellent. Well, you can download this podcast or stream us, guys. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, on all of them. Make sure that you jump on. Hit the subscribe button as well or the follow button. Also, make sure that you follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. We're going to have some Supercoach podcasts coming up as well. We've got both the Dragons, South Sydney, Rabbitohs, as well as the Canberra Raiders to come before we hit TLT next Tuesday. So make sure that you're tuning in on all those. But otherwise, we're also going to be back with a Talking Footy episode next week to chat more about all the big things in rugby league. Until then, thanks very much for listening and stay tuned for the next one. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get play.